I want to welcome our satellites and those who are watching online and um, welcome you. Thanks for coming back. I'm excited about this study. I hope you were able to dive in. We talked last week about the fact that um, we have a salvation um, that we didn't achieve, right, but that we received that we have a God who pursued us, came after us, and through his life and his death and his resurrection, uh, he provided salvation for us, which what that means is he's made us right with God. He's united us with God. Uh, we are united through Christ. And, um, and again, that salvation is received, not achieved. And he transforms us. The beautiful thing is that not just, um, just not, not just our eternal salvation is on the line there, but we have been changed. In the moment of our salvation, he makes us new creations, new people. In your study guide on page 9, and we looked at it last week, where there's a whole list of things that are true of us um, because of what Christ has accomplished for us. Uh, we looked at the fact that we're dead to sin and we're alive to God. We've been set free. Uh, that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And this is just the stuff that shows up from Romans 6 to 8, right? Um, that is true of us. That we're heirs of Christ. That we're adopted children. Um, and, and, but we talked about that what ends up happening oftentimes is God has done this work in us. He's transformed us. He's changed us. And yet we struggle to live in that, right? We're sitting on all the riches found in Christ, but often we read that list but we don't see what is true. What we tend to see is what is not, right? We, we tend to see more of what is not in me than what is in me. We see the glass half empty rather than being half full. We see the rejection, we see the wounds of a friend or a spouse, and we find ourselves, I find, seeing everyone's else's blessings and my deficits and we find ourselves stuck and what we want to do for these six weeks and now there's just four more weeks but we want to change right we want to we want to put into practice what God has given us we want to live out our identity and this does require, and we talked about it, it's, it's not a performance. It's not an earning God's favor. It's not a striving. But it is, I would suggest, a spirit-empowered exertion, if you will, of effort. There is effort. We need to, we, we do have to lean in. There is effort that makes a choice that brings about transformation, right? That changes us, that moves us forward. And so we're going to look at what Paul has to say in Romans 6. It's on page 22 in your study guide. Um, we're going to look at what Paul has to say about what has been changed in us 
and we're going to begin to look at what are some of the choices that we can make to live out this transformation. So let me pray, and we'll be in Romans 6, starting in verse 10. Holy Spirit, come. Would you do a transforming work in our minds, in our hearts, in our actions, in our will? Would you change us? Would you convince us more and more what is true of us? And would we have the courage to live in that, God? Not in striving, not in fear, not in performing, not in duty, but in the sheer delight of belonging to you, indwelt by your spirit, empowered to live our lives in Christ. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Change us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul says this, verse 10, he says, The death Jesus died, he died once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, just like Jesus, Paul is saying, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Count yourself. Know this to be true of you. Live in this. Therefore, verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires don't let sin continue to be your master because Christ died to set you free from it. He died once for all. Verse 13, do not, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Don't offer your heart to sin. Don't offer your lips to sin, to gossip, to evil words, to discouragement, to hatred. Don't offer your feet to run away from God. Don't offer your mind. Don't offer any part of yourself. But rather, offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer yourself, notice he's saying, offer yourself as one who has been brought from death to life. Offer yourself as what is true of you. This is true of you, right? Offer every part of yourself to him. Offer your ears to hear his voice. Offer his eyes to see, uh, your eyes to see his beauty, to see the hurting, to see the poor, to see the, the one who needs compassion. Offer your lips to, to praise. Offer your lips to encouragement. Offer your feet to run toward him. Offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin no, shall no longer be your master. Sin was your master. We talked about that before. Sin was your master, but it's no longer your master. 
because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. What then, verse 15, he kind of repeats the question he had in the beginning of this chapter, shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? No, stupid. I don't think, that's Cheryl's. No. Maybe not you're stupid, but don't be stupid. No, no, don't offer yourself to sin. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one that you obey? And friends, we're all offering ourselves to something and someone. We're going to talk more about that. Whether you are slave to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Righteousness is your right standing with God. Righteousness is what you were created for. Righteousness is what you experience when you do it right. And it feels good, right? Righteousness is our approval, our justification. And we're running around trying to find it in every other place but God himself. Paul says this, verse 17, but thanks be to God that though you used to be, you used to be, Slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart. We're going to talk more about that. You've come to obey not out of duty, but out of delight. You've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've aligned yourself with God, you've aligned yourself with His grace. You have been set free from sin, and you have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example, Paul says, from everyday life because of your human limitations. He's like, I'm just trying to get an analogy here, and the slave thing is, is, is something I, I'm, I'm trying to help you see that some of us, we're, we, we, we're giving ourselves to an evil master, but there are good masters, Right. And, and I know because of American history and stuff, slave imagery has all kinds of whack stuff going on in our heads. Um, but, um, but there are good masters, Paul is saying. There's the master who, who provides for you in every single way, who provides your housing and your food and your uh, provisions and, and your purpose. So stop offering yourself to that evil master and Offer yourself to a good master because guess what? You're going to choose a master. Choose a good one, right? Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now, he's going to say, make a choice. So now, make a choice to offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. We consider sometimes in our culture holiness as confining. Holiness is freedom. Because I love this. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. When you were a slave to sin, you were free from what you were actually made for. You were, you were free of your purpose and your identity. And then verse 21, this is, uh, this is underline, cross-stitch it, put it on your wall, because um, this is such a good, he says, verse 21, we all, and we all relate to it. What 
benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Right? Every one of us has something that we're, that at the, in the moment we thought it was just such a good decision. Or we just kind of went with what felt right. Like yesterday, I had to go back to a store three times. I was, I had written this talk, I had gone over it that day. The th after the third time, after being incredibly impatient and not very kind and a little irritated um, with, with the store, um, I got my car and I, I did not feel great. I wasn't like, woo, Cheryl, you really kicked it right there. Man, way to be you. You, you, you. You impatient, frustrated you. I just love that in you. No, I, I got my car and I was like, oh, Cheryl, come on now. That's not you. You could have been kinder. You could have been more patient. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin, now that this is true of you, you have been. See, words, when you're studying the scripture, words and tenses are really important, right? Have been. You have been set free from sin, and you have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. And eternal life isn't just heaven, new heaven and new earth. Eternal life is what Jesus talks about in John 10. It's the abundant life. It's the life today. It's the life in five hours from now. It's the life in 5,000 hours from now. It's the life in 5,000 years from now. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life, abundant life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how do we live in this? What do we do with this? I hope you're leaning into your study guide because I'm only going to, I'm going to kind of go over the surface. And if you did your study this week, you know it took you deep, huh? If you did your study this week, you should have had a little moment of like, uh, and then hopefully a little moment of, oh Lord, I love you. I love you. I love what you're doing in me. I love that you're for me. I love that you're my God and you're kind and patient and generous. So four things, just four things that I have to suggest to move us forward, to move us into a life of change and, and this life of freedom from sin. The first is this, name the bad master, right? That's kind of, again, what we were doing in our study. Name that bad master. Name that idol. Name who you have, who you have been obeying. Because we obey the lies that feel like truths. And you gotta name those lies. But here's what's hard and why we sometimes have to do the work is because that lie feels like a truth. 
You've, you've believed it for so long. You had somebody speak it over you who had authority in your life in such a way that it went deep into you and you have believed it to be true. And you got to name the lie because that lie is a bad master. And you guys, we only see what we name. If we don't name it, we don't see it. So we got to name it. We obey what has our affections. And we often, we often give our affections to what we believe will protect us or promote us or both, right? We give our affections to what we believe will protect us or promote us. And some of you are looking for protection and so that's where you give all of your affections to whatever you think is going to keep you safe, keep you secure, not require too much of you, not ask you to step out into anything that might feel uncomfortable. But others of you, it's not so much about safety. You want to be promoted. Yay! What will, what will make me look better? What will give me more power? What will give me more accolades? What will give me more of this? So, so, so I'm going to give my affections to either one of those, or if you're like me, both of them, because I want it all, right? I want to be protected, and I want to be promoted. So we got to name it. What is the lie that you believe that has you trapped? that has you stuck? What have you given your affections to that you believe will protect you? Is it a relationship? Is it a thing? What have you given your affections to that you think will promote you and yet you're realizing more and more it's not working? What is your idol? Again, that would have been something you would have done in your study this past week. So if you haven't done it, go back. An idol is that thing that oftentimes is a really good thing, but we've made it an ultimate thing. It has to come through for us. It has to protect me, or it has to promote me. Let's take, for example, family. Family is a really good thing, right? It's created by God. It's given to you as a gift. But sometimes it can become this ultimate source of our value or our security. And it will look different for different people. And this is how we start to know how might family be an idol and how is it an idol to me? And I love the language that Tim Keller uses of when we look at our emotions um, because emotions are good and they're wonderful things, but sometimes we can have what he calls inordinate emotion, right? Inordinate disappointment, inordinate sense of need for control, and inordinate fear, inordinate anger, right? And so we look at our family and maybe if we find ourselves like it is okay to be disappointed, right? You called your mother and the conversation just 
she didn't seem to listen, you didn't, she, or she said things that you felt were manipulative or all that. My mother is not like that if she's listening. Um, she's, <laughs> but, um, but, you, but you, you, you call your mom, you do that, and you're disappointed. Okay. But for some, there, it's this inordinate disappointment. You, t- you talk to your kid, they're away at college, and they didn't respond the way you wanted them to, to respond, and you're like, you're, you're like devastated, you're crushed. You're never going to have the family you were meant to have until they change is what really starts to happen. Until you get the response that you have to have, and then you start to know they've become an idol because they have to come through for you. They have to say what you wanted them to say. They had to talk the way you wanted them to talk. Maybe it's not disappointment, but maybe you recognize this inordinate need to control a spouse or a child. Your need to control that two-day-old is, is wonderful. That's, that's a good thing. But that need to control that 22-year-old is starting to get a little whack-whack, okay? So... Your need to control how your family gatherings go. Your need to control how your spouse responds and you're kicking them under the table. Your need to control how your kid responds, right? And again, a five-year-old needs to learn, look an adult in the eye, say thank you. That's all good stuff. But your 55-year-old probably uh, needs some freedom. Um, So... Or maybe it shows up in an ornate fear with your family. You're so afraid you can't leave them. It'll all fall apart. I'm not, I'm not using this to get you to go to retreat, but you should. But I can't tell you how many women I talk to, and it's like, oh, my gosh, I can't leave because, you know, I've got a three-year-old and a five-year-old, and my husband, I don't think you, I, uh. Well, your husband is an adult, I kind of figure he can figure it out. And no one's going to die from Happy Meals five day, three days in a row. Nobody's going to die from <laughs> But they might go to the park. And he might not, because this, I, I get this, sometimes people don't notice when their f- children fall off jungle gyms and stuff. But you know what? Somebody else will, and an ambulance will get there. It's going to be okay. We're, we're going to be okay. Maybe it shows up in an ornate anger. Maybe you're a closet rager. Nobody else knows it, but your family does. And then I got to look underneath all that. Because typically these idols were birthed and shaped and formed in wounds. So maybe the idol isn't really my family, it's my need for control, it's my need for approval, it's my need for security, it's my need for accolades, it's my need to be noticed, but we got to name it. So name your bad master. Second, choose a good master. (laughs) Seems to make sense, right? Choose a good master. And who's the best Jesus, yeah, Jesus, always the right answer. Jesus, and truly, I I hate it because it almost feels trite. 
But we have a God, Jesus Christ, who rescued us, who set us free, who is beautiful, who is the great protector and the great provider and the great promoter. Do you know Jesus to be your promoter? He is not against you. He is for you. I love that moment. I know I've shared it before in John chapter 6, one of, in my journey, a story that was so significant to me when, when God was revealing to me idols in my life and, and my need to crush them. Uh, this, this event in the life of Jesus in John chapter 6, Jesus' teaching is getting harder uh, because to follow Jesus isn't always easy. And he's going to invite you to things that feel really scary. And he's going to take you places you would have never taken yourself. And so Jesus is teaching. He's getting to kind of that place and he's kind of pointing that out. Hey, if you want to come with me, here's what it's going to be like. And people are starting to leave because everyone liked, yay, conquering, amazing Jesus, but now hard teaching Jesus, um, sacrifice, surrender Jesus. Don't know about that. And so Jesus turns to his kind of inner circle disciple guy and he says do you want to leave and then Peter speaks up and I kind of get this and again maybe I'm just reading it through my own lens but I get this impression because that they're all kind of like maybe um (laughs) but the answer is this to whom shall we go when I look at all the other masters when I look at all the other places to enslave myself, because I will enslave myself to something. Oh, Jesus, none can pair. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You are the Holy One of God. Right? You're my creator. We'll keep following you, that little band of guys said. We'll let you lead us. We'll let you speak to us. You have words of eternal life. You have words of truth. I want my ears to hear your words above all other words. So choose a good master. And then, number three, put your affections upon that master. Put your affections upon that good master. Verse 17 of chapter 6, Paul says, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart. You've come to obey with your affections. You have come to obey, again, not just out of duty, but out of delight. You've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Has Jesus, he he will not be your good master if he has not claimed your allegiance. If he has not captivated you, that you want to align yourself with him. That your allegiances lie with him. I love um, the poet John Donne wrote it this way in one of his sonnets. He said, take me to you, speaking to God. Take me to you, imprison me. For I, except you enthrall me, never shall be free. 
God, if you don't enthrall me, I'm never going to be free. And he goes on, he says, nor ever chaste, except you ravish me. You see, we're trying to get at holiness and goodness, and a lot of times the way we try to get there is through fear, or we put it on people. You need to be afraid of what will happen to you. You need to be careful because of this, 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 and this. You need to not do those things because then you might get punished or you might have blessing withheld or whatever, but John Dunn understood Never will I be chaste, never will I be holy, never will I be pure, except that you, God, ravish me, that you enthrall me. That's what Dallas Willard said when he said, when we see Jesus as he is, we must turn away or shamelessly adore him. I love what C.S. Lewis said, I know now, Lord, why you utter no answer. You yourself are the answer. Before your face, before your, before your face questions die away, what other answer would suffice? You are the answer. Fanny Crosby understood this. She was a prolific hymn writer, wrote over 8,000 hymns. We sing them today. She was blinded when she was six days old. An incompetent doctor caused blindness for her. And she was talking to a man who was a godly man. Uh, I think it was even maybe a pastor, as I, I took this out of a, a little book, but um, was talking to her about her suffering. And she said this. She said, it seemed intended by the blessed providence of God. We need to talk like this more, right? It seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all of my life. And I thank him for, the, for this dispensation, for this suffering. If perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things about me. <laughs> Do you know that if, I, if, if at birth I had been given one petition, I would have asked to have been born blind? Amazed, the man said, or asked, why in heaven would you ask for that? Because when I get to heaven, she stated, the first face that shall gladden my eyes will be the face of my Savior. Now, Fanny Crosby had time to come to that conclusion, right? She had time to lean in to her suffering and embrace it as a gift. And I want to suggest this as we think about putting our affections upon God. Authentic, lasting affections are formed over time. There's no shortcut. The little 90-year-old couple holding hands walking down the street knows an affection that was forged over time. 
because you see quick, instant feelings of affection are often lust. <laughs> and lust isn't lasting, nor is it authentic, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So, give yourself time to let those affections grow and deepen in you. The fourth thing, keep your heart, your mind, and your will connected. The temptation oftentimes as we follow Christ is to put ourselves in a category. Well, I follow God. I'm more of a thinker. I'm more of an intellectual. Um, I, 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 I like theology. I like doctrine. And that's great. I, I love that. Or, you know, I don't do doctrine. I'm not a thinker. I don't do the homework. I mean, phew, reading, overrated. Um, I just, I'm a heart. I'm all heart with Jesus. Give me, give me another worship song, another playlist. Oh, praise God. I'm a heart person. And then there's other people who are like, there's all these Christians, and they're just sitting around thinking, and they're just sitting around raising their hands and singing. I'm doing it. I'm going after it. I'm feeding the poor. I'm going after the homeless. I'm going to share the gospel, right? Okay, here's what the Lord invites us to, that we would be people who follow him and love him with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, or all of our will, Jesus captured this in John chapter 15. He says this, he says, as the Father has loved me, the, I have taken the truth, I know the truth with my mind, I know the Father has loved me, and so I love you. Now abide in my love with your heart, know a truth, abide in it, sit in it with your heart, Rest in it. Give it your affections and your attention. Receive it, he says, and then keep my commandments. Because if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and I abide in his love. It's my, it's my mind. I've, I've captured a truth about God, and I've let that truth then capture my heart. And then I've taken that truth, and, and with my heart, I've stepped out in to action. I've let those things um, inform my will to obedience, to living the faith that I profess and I feel and I know, right? And so we name the bad master, we choose a good master, we put our affections on that master, and then we keep our heart and our mind and our will connected, and then we lean into the homework for this week. Praise be to God. Father, I thank you for these women, and I thank you for this opportunity that we have to know you and grow in you, to live what is true in us because of you to have courage to name the bad masters, to have faith to receive you as our good master, to have patience to let our affections for you grow, and to keep our mind and our heart and our will connected. May it be true of us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.